You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with host Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. That's me. Well, 2019 marks two giant pivot points landmarks this year that uh, are in healthcare. Number one, Department of HHS, Health and Human Services, spends more officially this year than the rest of our federal budget combined. So 86% of HHS budget is entitlements, which would be Medicare, Medicaid. And then you've heard of NIH, National Institute of Health and Center for Disease Control, CDC. There's, they're all in there too, but 86% belongs to healthcare expenses. Now, the silver tsunami we've heard about so much as adding 10,000 Medicare enrollees every day for the next eight years. So another 30 million are jumping into Medicare and we're all living longer. So these two facts alone only grow the HHS budget. budget. It will not shrink. It will only grow. And if you throw in Social Security and interest payments, HHS and those two are just shy of 75% of our total federal budget. So add defense in there, and that's 86.7%. So the way to visualize this is imagine the cabinet table, the president's at one end, uh, at the driver's seat, if you will, and half the other table is health and human services. And the treasury, which writes those interest check payments, is on about a fourth sitting with Social Security Administration, which is not on the cabinet, separate agency. And then defense would take a little slice of the table. And then the rest of the whole other side of the table is shared by only 13% of that table is shared by all of the other cabinet positions combined. So that's commerce, education, energy, homeland security, housing, urban development, interior labor, state, transportation, treasury. Well, you, you get the idea. So the whole cabinet is not even spending a fraction of what federal health entitlements are. So interest can only grow. We're at an all-time 10-year low, historical low for interest. So that's going to take up a bigger portion of the table, treasury. And of course, Social Security is growing. So the rest of the table is getting squeezed. Over half, second thing that's happened, it's a landmark, is over half of all workers cannot access their policy this year due to the illiquidity of high deductibles. So the average deductible is $1,350, and well over half Americans can't access $1,000 in their bank account or any liquidity whatsoever. So half of Americans are also, according to the Wall Street Journal yesterday, priced out of home ownership due to health care costs. Two-thirds of all personal bankruptcies are medical bill-related, and one-third of all GoFundMe accounts are medical bill accounts. So the takeaway is healthcare bigs have completely overplayed their hand on the game board that they've set up and owned, and it's been rigged by them with Congress helping. The costs of care threaten all of these agencies, all of these services that derive our deficit spending like no other single category. Healthcare has stolen the American dream, says Dave Chase on a TED Talk, if you want to hear something fantastic, 14 minutes. It's the tapeworm of our economy, says Warren Buffett. Healthcare Bill Gates says has stolen our school budgets. So as it stands, it's added so much misery that the voter patients are now actually seriously considering Medicare for all as a very serious debate this cycle. And it's a no kidding joke. So 
Healthcare today really threatens our way of life more than any other single factor, more than climate, more than extremists, more than China, Russia, irreligiosity, privacy, the Kardashians, you name it. We know from history where this is headed and at what point do the bigs collectively ease off to preserve the host they're feeding off of, we the taxpayers, we the patients, we the employees. Well, today we have your answer if you are a patient, if you're a doc, or especially if you're an employer. These folks are specialists in for you guys. You can tune out if you're not an employer, an employee, or a doctor, but I think that's pretty much everybody listening to me. Meet Dr. Clint Flanagan. He is the CEO and founder and pioneer of Nextera Health. And when I say pioneer, there were maybe on one hand uh, that many DPCs in America in 2009 when he started his idea. He's a pioneer and he has a vision. And let me tell you what his vision is. That's a unique twist for direct primary care. He has got the state of Colorado very well covered, Iowa, Nebraska. Uh, they're covered for employers. So the problem with a DPC, if you're an employer, is they may have one location in your metro. Houston has, for example, 15 different DPCs. They're spread out everywhere, and they're not a united front. So you can't engage with them if you are a school district, for example, and you want to use DPC to reduce your costs and get wholesale drugs. You can't cut a deal with 15 different industries but you can with Clint Flanagan in Colorado, in Nebraska. So Clint uh, was named a top 20 who's who in direct primary care in the U.S. He's been invited to the White House to discuss the future of health care. He's a founding member and a co-director of Direct Primary Care Coalition in D.C., and he's lobbied for state laws that are relevant to their industry. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for that introduction. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity. And you know, this all began with seeing so many barriers for patients getting access to their primary care physician. And having worked in the existing system for a number of years, it, it became pretty crystal clear to us that we needed to do something different. And truthfully, at the time, we didn't even know what direct primary care was. We, we just started calling it monthly membership healthcare. And that's how it started. And then I found a few across the country that were doing something very similar to what we were doing, and that is charging a monthly fee, kind of like a gym membership, for access to your primary care doctor. And that fee would cover all your medical visits that you would have with him or her. So whether you were seen once a week, or whether you had a phone call, or whether you were seen three or four times, uh, that one monthly membership fee would cover those visits. Uh, so uh, we had some similarities to these other others in the country that were running direct primary care practices. So we said, hey, we're going to join forces. And, and that's where it all kind of began. And we're having a lot of fun. So Clint, why do you think there's only still 1,200 out of half a million PCPs that are in the movement? I don't understand why it's going so slow. It's, it must seem like it's ballooned dramatically from five or six or seven to 1,200 in 10 years. But still, that's 1,200 is just a dot on the map. What's going on? Yeah, I, I agree that, um, you know, you'd, you'd say, my gosh, there are 130,000 family medicine physicians in the country. You know, why are there only maybe close to a couple of thousand primary care physicians doing direct primary care? And I would, I would just kind of say that, you know, a few things. One, uh, years and years ago, we were in the proof of concept phase, right? So we think of us like a startup. And, you know, the beauty of that was uh, failure, right? So that, that, that was the motivator. Uh, but I always like to say the bar was set so low with the existing model of uh, 
care that we have in this country when it came to primary care and fee-for-service and insurance, that it didn't take a lot for us to step over that bar. So we started moving along, right, and kept moving and kept moving. Uh, and um, then we got support of the American Academy of Family Physicians. So that was really helpful, right, uh, because they represent over 130,000 family medicine physicians across the country. So as the support grew, uh, then you had a number of docs saying, my gosh, you know, I own my own fee-for-service insurance practice. Maybe I should start doing a little bit of direct primary care. So you have that group of physicians, and we call those docs hybrid docs, right? They're doing fee-for-service insurance and direct primary care. And then you had some of those fee-for-service docs that are like, you know what? I've been doing this for 15 or 20 years. Uh, I'm surviving, but I'm not thriving, and I see these barriers. I'm going to close my fee-for-service practice and open up a direct primary care-only practice. So you had that kind of uh, group of physicians. Uh, and then there's a whole other group of docs that are employed. And part of what frustrated me 10 years ago is I saw more and more of my colleagues that had owned their own private practice that were closing their practice and or selling their practice to large systems. And, you know, I think one of the best things in America is small business. And when it comes to healthcare, I think some of the best healthcare that you can get is from that physician that owns his own practice. So private primary care. And so that was super frustrating to me. So you fast forward here to 2019, and a lot of primary care physicians are employed by big systems, right? And it's a little bit challenging them for them perhaps to step away. So what we're providing in direct primary care is a lane for that, A, very experienced doctor to step away from uh, an employed position in a large system, B, that primary care doctor that owns his own practice that is, let's say, maybe struggling a bit in that fee-for-service insurance world to start a, a different lane of revenue to his practice that's way more reliable than the typical fee-for-service insurance lane. And or C, I think one of the funnest things is you see medical students and residents coming out of residency like Dr. Paul Thomas and starting their own direct primary care. So, uh, you know, it, it just takes time for these things to happen. And, you know, people look at us and like, my gosh, you guys have 60 locations and you're taking care of thousands and thousands of people. And that's awesome. And, you know, that didn't happen overnight. <laughs> it, just, it takes time like any business. But fortunately now, right, there are playbooks for people to look at that make it easier for them uh, as you're moving forward. You know, when, when cell phones came out, you know, was everybody using one day one? No. Uh, but you look at it now, uh, everybody's using a cell phone for all kinds of things. So, so uh, I, I think it's like anything, you know, you got to move beyond uh, your startup, you got to move beyond the proof of concept phase, it, you get into the lane where you're doing really well, uh, and others see that. And when it comes to our lane at NextEra Healthcare, you know, we deal with a lot of employers, and there are a lot of moving parts there. Uh, as you engage with an employer and or a benefits advisor or broker, uh, a lot of moving pieces and parts. And some people in this kind of dysfunctional healthcare ecosystem, they want to keep things the same. So there are forces, right? Uh, and, and we just like to be transparent and, and say, you know, we're going to charge you a monthly membership fee and we're going to take really good care of you. Uh, you don't need insurance for that. You need insurance for cancer and heart attack, just like you need automobile insurance for your car when it gets totaled. But you don't really use your automobile insurance to put gas in your car or do prevention and maintenance on your car. So so we really, it, it's a bit of a paradigm shift and we got to get people thinking a little differently. And that is that you don't need an insurance card to get primary care in this country. Uh, it's Primary care is low cost. 
you know, getting a hip replacement is a high dollar thing. So that's a little different ball game. So, you know, uh, I look at it understanding that when we started, there was just a few across the country and now you have DPC in nearly every state and you can really see it's probably out in the last probably 12 to 18 months. It's, uh, on a trajectory that's pretty impressive and hopefully here pretty soon we'll hit a tipping point. So let's talk about the, uh, offer. I think you addressed it a little bit. If I'm an employer and I come to you and I say, I want a cheaper way and a smarter way to spend my 15,000 that I'm averaging for my premium. How would you design your practice, your, uh, the catastrophic pieces of it that you just mentioned, the heart and the cancer and the car accident, uh, the specialist that I need to go see for some rare situations, but still you need to have a referral. How would I, how would you design that plan? Or do you let the benefits brokers design that and just your piece of the puzzle? Yeah, great question. So I by no means am a benefits advisor or a producer or a broker, but but I've uh, you know trial by fire <laughs> learned over the years that there are a lot of opportunities for employers when it comes to designing their benefit plan, and the way that we look at it is if you as an employer are happy with the amount of money that you're spending for your healthcare premiums, and you're happy with your care then we move on. Nextera doesn't have much of a conversation with you. What we found over the years is hardly any employer and or employee is happy with the care and spend. So you mentioned earlier in the call, you know, the amount of money that we're spending in America, 3.7 trillion or whatever, set to be eventually five to six trillion. You know, for that amount of money, we should be getting top shelf care, right? But we're not getting that at the primary care level. You have benefits advisors and brokers selling PPO plans that for a family of four are twenty-five dollars to $26,000 a year in premiums, and yet that family is getting an overwork, overworked primary care physician that works for a large system that maybe has five minutes with them on their checkup. So they're not even getting top-shelf primary care. Uh, so we look at every employer, whether it's an employer of 10 or an employer of 10,000, saying, you know, what are you currently utilizing? What kind of plan do you have for your employee? Are you happy with your benefits advisor? Uh, and we actually look at that as a team approach because a lot of these benefits advisors are innovative and, and they know way more than we do. So we very much like to approach that from a team perspective and saying, what can we do to best meet the needs of the employer in the most affordable way? And obviously where we have expertise is the direct primary care way. We really believe that every employer in America should be offering direct primary care to their employees. Some of the employers we work with don't offer any health benefit. You know, they're a, a company of electricians that have maybe 10 electricians and they offer zero health benefit, but they're able to take that money and give their technician a bit more salary or hourly. Uh, and, and when we come onto the ranch, you know, we're $99 a month. So we let that employer know, hey, listen, you can pay that uh, directly, 100% of it, or you, the owner, can pay 50% of that and take the other half of that out of the employee's paycheck and we'll invoice you once a month. So sometimes that's the type of conversation we're having with small employers, much, much different than larger employers. And then as we move down that pathway, some of these employers are fully insured, some are level funded, some are self-funded. So there's definitely some differences uh, in, uh, in, and we, uh, over time, you know, it wasn't our initial goal to become experts in that arena by any means, but we started to find out, my gosh, a lot of these employers are paying a lot of money for, for things that could be got at a more much more affordable price, number one, but number two, actually better care. So we're pretty hell-bent on that better care front. 
Well, it seems to me if I'm spending 15 on an employee and my employee's spending 5,000, which is the national average, um, there's room in there for the broker's commissions to design these creative plans around direct primary care. That, In other words, the uh, fee will come out of the dollar saved. You're not having to come up with, in other words, a commission to engage these creative brokers to come up with these alternative plans that are uh, self-funded, if you will. Correct. You know, and brokers are realizing that. And they, you know, oftentimes they have been in, and even up until this day, they're paid a per member per month or per employee per month. Right. And sometimes those fees, I've seen them range anywhere from $20 up to $50 per employee per month. And when you look at that monthly premium, direct primary care fee is typically less than 10% of that monthly premium, right? So let's say the premium is $1,000 a month for the health insurance plan with Blue Cross, United, Anthem, Cigna. Direct primary care, our prices on average are around $70 per employee per month or per member per month. At Nextera, we charge $99 for the first employee. Uh, I'm sorry, for the for the employee, $79 for the spouse or partner, and $49 for kids. So when you look at actually what you're spending for direct primary care, it is a fraction of your overall premium. But the important piece that a lot of people don't realize is that that spend can affect all the downstream spend. So that's what we've been able to show employers is that when you give your employee and their family access to high quality primary care that where there's no copay, you know, there's no bill. Em- employees start to come in more. They get a relationship with their primary care doctor, which is one of the most important things. And that doctor can take care of up to 90% of what patients need. And in this case, you know, it's $1,200 or less per year, right? If you look $99 times 12, it's 1200 bucks. You know, uh, Sherm had an article here in 2019 that showed that employers are paying up to $15,000 a year per employee. So as we have these artful conversations with benefits advisors and employers, you know, we, we're very transparent about our fees. We're very transparent about what we do. And those savvy brokers are starting to say, hey, listen, rather than being paid a per member per month from United or, or uh, Blue Cross, I'm going to be paid as a healthcare strategist. You know, pay me a lump sum, essentially, and you, the employer, pay me that. You know, a lot of these benefits advisors, while they work for benefits firms, technically it's United, Anthem, Aetna, and Cigna that are paying them, right? Uh, So we just think there should be transparency there. We think that employers, when they're writing checks, they should know, you know, where their money's going, what it's what is what is going to get them, uh, and and we're we're so focused on that that we at open enrollment meetings we actually bring our physicians to the open enrollment meetings and say hey listen uh, here employees are the physicians that are within uh, your catchment area and you know we found over time that for years and years and years there's physicians have never gone to benefit meetings so imagine that as an American right or an employer owner you're you're paying for something and you have no clue what you're getting. Like that's just not the American way. Uh, so we really see uh, a lot of change happening. And to your point earlier, this is why it's been of a bit of a slower process uh, than, than one would might, might expect because there are a lot of moving pieces. And one of those pieces is so many of the larger employer groups are fronted by benefits firms. Uh, and, and I think it's important to have transparency, pull that Wizard of Oz screen down on how those brokers and advisors are being paid. I'm going to assume that most of your employer customers are going to be smaller businesses and that's uh, some of them have multiple locations and that's why you've got Colorado and two other states covered with these 60 locations and you're growing. Um, I really like your model and that you're taking care of, you're really designed for employers with a universal offering, unlike the Houston example I gave. 
So what data are employers requiring when they have multiple locations to make sure they're on top of all this? What, what new reporting do you have that you didn't before uh, you became an employer's DPC model? Yeah, so uh, there are kind of a number of different answers to that question, so I'll try to uh, keep it simple. So there are fully insured plans, and in fully insured plans, even employers don't get that much data. Then there are level-funded plans and self-funded plans. And in those plans, there is more data that flows. Uh, and, and what we like to look at, I'll give you an example, a couple of employers that we take care of. They're self-funded. They have a TPA. Uh, and then that TPA uh, and or the benefits advisor, they have some analytical capabilities. Uh, we also uh, have analytical capabilities when it comes to looking at every single claim that that employee has. And, and I like being from Nebraska, I like to call it, you know, we have what's called the next era ranch. We like to keep almost all of the medical encounters on our ranch, but a lot of times employees may go off our ranch. And when they go off our ranch, let's say for a hip surgery or a carpal tunnel surgery or a hospital stay, that's a claim. That claim moves through the TPA, hits the plan. And oftentimes as an employer, they're, the employer is actually paying that claim. They're playing, let's say the United healthcare rate with the local hospital system. So we think it's really, really important to understand every touch that the employee has in the system. Um, it can be a little challenging trying to get those touches, but but we're able to do that. And, and I think it's even a better step to compare the total spend per employee per year in the Nextera bucket with the other buckets of uh, healthcare that the employer offers. So I'll give you a direct example. We have a school district that we take care of. They have Nextera attached to a PPO plan, and then they have a PPO plan that doesn't offer Nextera. We like to compare those two buckets. And when we did that for 2018, we saved this school district about 29.4% on total spend compared to the other PPO bucket that didn't have Nextera. So you're, you're making the case that, uh, as you call it, top shelf primary care, where they have the time. So let's give an example. Your average day looks like what? I uh, spoke, When I spoke to Scott, six, eight's a busy day. When I spoke with Josh, six to eight is a busy day. What does your busy day look like? Yeah. So uh, if we go back to years ago, our busy day was seeing 30 to 35 patients a day. That was a classic fee-for-service system where you're seeing probably a minimum of 25 to 35 patients per day. Every patient's a transaction. You know, you don't have enough time with your patients. You're moving from patient to patient and you're doing so because that's the chassis. That's that fee-for-service insurance chassis that primary care sits on. And I'm telling you, there, there's hardly a doc in America that in his medical school or her medical school essay said, I want to see 35 patients a day in bill and code and be a data entry specialist for a third of my day, right? Like, like that's not what we signed up for, but that's what we had. If you transition, I'm sorry, if you contrast that with Nextera Healthcare, our docs maybe see 10 to 15 patients a day. Uh, that depends on which doctor you see in our uh, community of Nextera physicians, because some of our Nextera physicians uh, own their own DPC practice and they're part of our Nextera community, and part of what we can do for them is send employees and members their way, they may see maybe five to 10 patients a day. Some of our busier docs that maybe have a, uh, a bucket of Nextera patients, but still a bucket of fee-for-service patients, they may see 12, maybe to 15 patients a day. Understand, though, that those visits don't always have to be face-to-face. -face. Some of those visits are on the phone. So those virtual visits are included in that total amount. 
Virtual visits in fee-for-service insurance hardly ever happen, right? Insurance companies typically require that we bring the patient in in order to bill. So if you're doing virtual care as a primary care doc on a fee-for-service chassis, you know, you're, you're not able to generate revenue and your practice fails. Uh, and so in the direct primary care chassis, whether you see a patient face-to-face or you handle their concerns over the phone, you know, we just want to make sure we're doing good medicine and doing it in a convenient way. So, you know, direct answer to your question, direct primary care doctors see less patients than fee-for-service docs and have more time, half hour, an hour to spend with patients versus five or 10 minutes. We always, we like to laugh that, you know, in the fee-for-service world, you spend more time in the lobby than you do with your doctor versus in the direct primary care world, it's the exact opposite. So if I'm a PCP listening in, and I do have a lot of those kinds of listeners, there is a uh, couple of questions I have. Number one, okay, so I'm saying six to eight to 10 a day, plus I'm texting maybe on the weekends and the evenings, but what happens to my 2,500 patients? How many will sign up? And the numbers I've heard is 10 to 20%, maybe 250 to 500 patients will sign up for this 99 or $100 a month service model. Is that about right? You know, I don't know that there's been any direct study on that. But as I've polled my colleagues over the years, let's say, you know, most family medicine docs have maybe about 2,000 to maybe tops 3,000 patients on average, right? I, I know there are some that have 5,300, okay? But on average, they have about 2,000 if they've been in practice, let's say 10 years. You send out letters to, to all those patients, say, hey, listen, I'm going to convert my practice over in six months. And, and I would say just to be conservative, that maybe 10% come along. So out of the 2,000, you have 200 that come along. So that's a little more um, aggressive way of transitioning. Others will say, hey, I want to open up a DPC business, maybe a separate tax ID number within my existing fee-for-service practice. And I'm going to start to advertise to the 20 to 40% of patients that walk through my door that have high deductible health plans. That's what we did back 10 years ago. Because a lot of our patients were like, hey, I can see you once a year for a checkup, but when I come in for my high blood pressure follow-up or my cholesterol follow-up, I'm out of pocket, you know, that $150, $200 for the visit until I meet my five or thousand or $10,000 deductible. So that's a bit, you know, many, many years ago, light bulb went on for us and we're like, we need to not be beholden to Blue Cross United Anthems at the signal on the primary care side. We're going to go directly to our patients and say, we're going to charge a monthly fee. Uh, and we'd really like to take care of you. And you can use that insurance with that high deductible plan in case you get cancer. Okay. So Clint, I'm on the math here. I'm looking at uh, what you just said. I'm taking 200 patients times the $100 a month. That's 240 grand a year. I've still got rent to pay. I'm going to need some staff. I can't go completely staffless. I have uh, no biller coders anymore, but I may need some front desk and some exam room cleanup. So a couple of MAs. So 240,000, I just took a big pay cut, but of course, I'm also going to be marketing, which I've never had to do before as a physician, to my neighborhood, to my radius. So maybe a four-mile radius, I have to start doing social media. I have no skill set for that. So I think a, a lot of the leap into the DPC world is looking at these numbers and saying, well, you know, it's just not enough for me to make what I was making before. I'm going to probably going to need to get another loan to uh, finance my practice till it grows and, and can support, you know, maybe 500 or, you know, 600 patients. So I, I can see where there's a little fear factor with this low number of uh, 200 maybe uh, converting. Uh, completely agree. And you know what? Not every family medicine doc wants to be an entrepreneur. You know, so many of them are completely fine with being employed. 
And I think, you know, that statement needs to be understood across the family, family practice landscape in this country is that many don't want to do what you just said. They don't want to, you know, get an Instagram and a Twitter account and, and post to Facebook and all that jazz, right? Uh, and so that's why, you know, fortunately, there are direct primary care companies out there that employ physicians. My company is one of those. I hired four providers, physicians last fall, and I pay them uh, a annual salary that is very competitive to the large systems here in Colorado. Uh, and again, they're working maybe 35 to 40 hours a week, four days a week, salaried. And then as their membership grows, uh, there is some kind of bonus or further compensation on top of that. And they're seeing maybe 10 to 15 patients a day, right? Not 25 to 35 patients per day. Uh, so, so there are other options for primary care physicians in this country versus you must open your own practice. Uh, and, and it'll always be that way, right? There, there'll always be employed physicians and there will be those that want to own their own practice. So at Nextera, we offer lanes for all of those. If you want to be employed, we're happy to hire you. Number one, number two, if you want to open up your own DPC practice, but you're having, you're struggling getting members connect with us and we'll help drive membership your way. And or number three, uh, if, uh, if um, you're a fee-for-service practice and you're like, you know, I don't want to close my doors in my fee-for-service world. I've been open for 20 years, but I would like to step in the direct primary care arena, uh, connect with NextEra Healthcare, and, and we can show you how to do that. We have a playbook on that we've been doing for years, and, and we have expertise that um, uh, allows us to do those kind of things. Okay, so this let me just get a one-word answer from you on these laws. Which laws go away if I'm not accepting fee-for-service? Um, Stark Law, does that go away? I don't know that that goes away. And uh, I will, disclaimer, uh, I have very smart attorneys that help us. <laughs> okay, anti-kickback, I'm fairly certain, goes away because you're not taking federal. Uh, we're paid by employers and paid by our patients. So no anti-kickback. HIPAA is going to still be required. You know, that's a good question. We've kind of debated back and forth about that, especially if you don't have contracts with CMS or Medicare. Um, we fortunately have a, a healthcare attorney that's a HIPAA guru. Uh, so I defer all those questions to her. But, uh, you know, I, I see where you're getting at. And the, and the short is, is you'll have less things regulating you. Yes. Well, so again, the real interesting thing that I noticed when I look at your locations you seem to be on the fringes of major metros. You like small towns, don't you? So I'm from a small town in Nebraska. Um, you know, we started uh, in our early days here at NextEra. One of our clinics was in a rural Colorado. Uh, and, um, you know, DPC can be done about anywhere. You just got to find the right lanes to do it. And earlier in the call, you mentioned our locations. And I just want to be clear, we have about 30 locations here in Colorado. And then we're in seven other states. And those states are Michigan, Maryland, uh, Virginia, Washington, D.C. area, Florida, Iowa, Nebraska. Oh, congratulations on your success. I think you're showing the folks how to do this right because, again, the big employer dissatisfaction is they can't seem to get geographical coverage for their employees. And you are solving that problem in spades. Yeah, you know, it's uh, over time. I'll give you an example. We have a trucking company we take care of where most of the truck drivers are within an hour of our clinic. But one thing that we've designed is rather than spend $99 a month for the truck driver that lives, let's say, an hour uh, from our office or two hours from our office, we lower that rate to 59 and offer virtual primary care. And so we do that uh, 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 with the understanding that 
those truck drivers need care, but they live, let's say, in a small town where there is no primary care. Uh, and HR and CFO and CEO want to offer primary care services to this truck driver. So what we've designed over time is we've designed um, a system that allows us uh, to provide primary care. Uh, and in that case, it's virtual. Most of the time, sometimes they'll come in face to face, but but it, it it it's a virtual care solution where they can be on the road and connecting with their doctor. It's very nice, um, and they're bored out of their mind on that highway. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about if I'm a physician and I want to think about converting, and I'm not in one of your states. What resource would you send my way to learn more about this? Yeah, so fortunately, there's a lot of information now. A great place is dpcfrontier.com. So Dr. Phil Askew has put together an excellent website that uh, he has a mapper on there showing DPC docs around the country that's pretty up to date. He's got all kinds of non-academic and academic articles on DPC. Excellent, excellent place, number one. Number two, if you Google Hint Summit videos, the Hint's uh, company out of, out of uh, San Francisco, Hint has archived videos from conferences that they've held, as well as I think even other conferences. And there's just a treasure trove of information for at least three years on physicians uh, speaking about their direct primary care experiences. So that's uh, a second place for information. A third place is Docs for Patient Care Foundation. So uh, Dr. Lee Gross has a foundation and they have a nuts and bolts conference every year down in Orlando. That is awesome. I spoke at it last year and, and I believe they archive those videos as well. Uh, so those are some places online. Uh, the American Academy of Family Physicians has uh, DPC resources online as well. Uh, so, so those are some good places to learn about uh, DPC. On our website, our website's nextera.healthcare.com. And, and again, it's the next era because we weren't happy with the first era, uh, N-E-X-T-E-R-A healthcare.com. We've got a fair amount of information as well. And then there are typically at least three or four uh, summits and conferences across the country. And the one that I mentioned is the Hint Summit. That's usually about every April or May. Number two is the DPC Summit put on by the American Academy of Family Physicians. And then number three is the uh, Docs for Patient Care Nuts and Bolts Conference down in Orlando, typically every November. All right. So Clint, I have um, a couple of final questions. Uh, how do people find you if they want to go to work for you in those five or six states that you're located in? couple of ways. So number one, our website is nexterahealthcare.com. And then on that website, you can click through careers and uh, send information our way there, number one. Number two, you can call. Our main number is 303-501-2600. So those are two pretty good ways to get a hold of us. And uh, my final stumper question is, if you could fly a banner over the country with a simple message for Americans to read, what would that say? Yeah, that's a no-brainer. DPC for everyone. <laughs> I agree. I can't. I really cannot find in my mind anybody that wouldn't be a good fit for. If you're an employer, if you're an employee, if you're a doctor, physician, primary care, even uh, specialists are starting to join the DPC movement. I'm seeing. So it's very exciting times for you guys. Congratulations on all your success, and uh, we'll look forward to having you again sometime soon. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity, and thanks again for everything that you're doing to uh, put the message out. You bet. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. 
It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.